We're over in the book of John. I've really enjoyed our time in the book of John. John chapter 15. We'll continue in this uh, gospel until we reach the conclusion there in chapter 21. For now, we're with the, well, the upper room discourse of Jesus. This is the day before he will be crucified and he is teaching, he's instructing his disciples, he's comforting them because they're, they're in an upheaval because their leader is leaving. He's going to the cross. He's going to die. And these men have left everything for Jesus. And Christ is assuring them. He's comforting them. And I think in some respects, he's challenging them as well. What we want to do is pick it up in verse 12 of chapter 15. And this is, uh, I think this will be helpful, I trust, to you and to me in our walk with Jesus. We need encouragement in that walk. We need a constant reminder of what the walk with Jesus as his disciple entails. When we open the word of God, the promises of God are there and they continue to come at us and we continue to receive those promises of God. So this is a continuation. We're jumping right into a, an upper room discourse, a farewell discourse. Verse 12, we'll read through the end of the chapter. Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. That was unheard of. Back then, if you, uh, you, know, you followed a rabbi or a teacher, you chose who you followed. Jesus turns the tables by saying, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. And that your fruit would remain. So that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. 
This I command you, that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sin. But now they have no excuse for sin. That's the point of verse 22. They have no excuse for sin. They're standing in the presence of the sinless one. Jesus has told them the truth. They have seen it for themselves. They have heard it. They have seen him. They have no excuse. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will testify about me. And you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. The word of the Lord. Father in heaven, we thank you for these ancient words. We thank you that these words are your direct communication to us. So Lord, we, uh, we pray that your words would be received by each one of us. That you would give us understanding and, Lord, encouragement. And that we would grow closer to you in our walk. So we thank you for what you will do. And we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So chapter 15 begins with... I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. This is just an attempt to put this whole thing in context. So the context are, you have these disciples. Jesus is leaving. He's about to be crucified on a cross. Jesus has given them promises and instruction, but now there's some, there's some turmoil in their hearts. Uh, Judas has already left the group and he has gone to betray the Lord. Um, in the very near future, most of these disciples will flee. Uh, they're, they're really at a loss. 
I mean, if you could imagine this one that you've dedicated three years of your life, you left your home, you left your, your job, what have you, and you've dedicated yourself to Jesus, and now he's preparing for his departure. So the words here are of utmost importance to them then and to us now. They're important for us now to hear his words and to obey his words. So there it is. This is the last of the I am statements in John. There are seven of them. Jesus says, I am the true vine. He's the uh, life source. He says, and my father is the vine dresser. This is the only I am statement with an attachment. This, in, this is concerning the father. So Jesus is the life source and the father is the vine dresser. He's the gardener. We can identify with that. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. So fruit bearing, these first 11 verses, it's about the branch being attached to the vine and bearing fruit. It's a simple concept. We see it in nature. There has to be a vital attachment of the branch to the trunk of the tree or the vine for there to be fruit. In verse 3, Jesus tells us basically that what he's talking about are spiritual realities. He's not leaving us in the garden. He says, you are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. So he has just said, this is a spiritual thing we're talking about. Jesus says, I'm the true vine. That's where the life is. If you want true life, you're attached to the vine. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. And to encourage his disciples, he says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Lest they get too downhearted lest they throw in the towel, lest they judge themselves too harshly, Jesus says, you, you guys here are already clean because of the word which I've spoken. You've received my word is what he's saying. You've heard me. You have received me. You've received my word. You are still with me. You are already clean because of this word. And then he goes on, abide in me. Abide is a huge idea in this portion of scripture. Without abiding in the life source, without the branch, abiding in the vine, there's no fruit. But he says, abide in me. And he says, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. So there, it's safe to say there's no fruitfulness in the Christian life unless you as a believing branch 
are in or connected to the life-giving vine. That's the only way to bear fruit. We're talking about spiritual fruit. We're talking about divine fruit. He says it in a little bit. There it is in verse 5. Let your eyes go to verse 5, very last part of that verse. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus is just saying, if you choose to live life on your own, if you, if you choose to be guided by your own wisdom and your own strength and your own sense of things, then you may be busy, but you're not going to bear the spiritual fruit that he is talking about right here. Apart from him, you can do nothing. Paul has a counterpart to that in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who what? Strengthens me. Where does that strength come from? Well, it comes from the life source. It comes from God. It comes from being connected with Jesus. How do we connect with Jesus? Through repentance and faith. It's called salvation. We repent and believe. We trust him as our Lord and Savior. We trust him, his death on the cross, his great sacrifice, that when we trust him, he forgives our sin. And we are what? We're clean. And we are in him. And he is in us. And as we abide in him, or another word there would be remain in him, that he produces fruit through us. Don't forget about the father. What's he doing? He's a vine dresser. What does that mean? It means it's the father's job to prune us. Have you ever cut back a bush in the garden? I, I've got a, there's a couple bushes that they get, they get lengthy. They're, the branches get lengthy and I've got to cut them back. I cut them way back. I don't want them bothering me this time of year. The Father prunes us. Why? So that we can bear more fruit. And then he prunes us again so that we can bear much fruit. And repeat, we never get beyond the pruning. We never graduate in this school of discipleship, of following Jesus. So he goes on, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch, he dries up, they gather them, cast them into the fire, they're burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You know, one of the hallmarks of fruitfulness is prayer. Do you know that? Prayer. He said it in the text we read a while ago. He says, uh, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. What's that mean? It means our prayer needs to reflect the concern of the Father and the Son. That our prayer should be spiritual in nature. But they're not always spiritual in nature. Sometimes they regard physical things. But he says, asking of the Father 
and he says, in my name. That's the key. The key to having your prayers answered are asking in accordance with the will of Jesus and in accordance with the character of Jesus. And he says, it'll be done for you. And by the way, that's not the only time he says that. He says it back in uh, chapter 14. So when you're abiding, what does it look like to abide in the Lord? Prayer, prayer, prayer. Fruitfulness. What is fruitfulness? What is fruitfulness in the Christian life? I'm afraid we get confused here. What is it? I want to give you the first fruit of being connected to the vine. This is my, this is my opinion. I think, this is, I think this is true, though. We look for fruit. What's fruit in my life? Some, sometimes we, we don't see much fruit, right? Whatever, however we define that. I think I define fruit in the Christian life as anything produced by God in my life. Fruits of the Spirit. The, uh, Paul mentions in Philippians the fruit of righteousness. The fruit of godly character, of Christ-likeness in my life. That's fruit. That's spiritual fruit. I've never met a Christian, a true Christian, who didn't want what? More fruit. We want more fruit. I want to be more like Jesus. Don't you? And I know that the only way I can be more like Jesus is through the life that he gives me as I'm connected to the vine. Jesus is the true vine. Oh, I was going to give you the first fruit. <laughs> the first fruit of the Christian life, when you're connected with the vine, I don't know about you, but I found this to be true in my life. My desires changed. Let me go on with that. So I had, whereas before I didn't have a desire for the word of God, I now have a desire for the word of God. Say, so how could desire be a fruit? Well, desire for the word of God and desire for the fellowship of the saints and the desire to know Jesus better. That is not of a human invention. You can't conjure that. You can't manufacture that. And I can, I can show you plenty of places, even here in DeKalb County, where there are folks today that have no desire to be with the saints of God. They have no desire to hear the word of God. They have no desire for spiritual things. I believe the first fruit, we can put it this way, one of the first fruits of being connected with the life-giving vine, the life source, who is Jesus, would be desire. I have a desire to grow. I have a desire to be like Jesus. I have a desire to be around Christian brothers and sisters. That desire. Never uh, underestimate that desire for spiritual things. The desire for more of the Lord. The desire to know more of Jesus. The desire for more of his word. The desire for more prayer. Never underestimate. That desire. And then the flip side, if that desire is not there, there's cause for concern. I mean, you, you almost feel like 
we've really got to slow down here and really think through why there would not be desire in someone's life who says they're a Christian, but there's no desire for spiritual things. That's concerning. So desire. Well, as a result of all this, Jesus is going to say one more thing. And it's right here in verse 18 and and following on down. As a result of you being connected to the true vine, the life source, that you derive your power for the Christian life comes not from us, it comes from him. Perseverance in prayer, the desire for the word of God. The joy that he talks about in verse 11. He says, I've told you all this so that your joy may be made full. All these qualities of the Christian life. Where does that put you when it comes to the world? Right there in verse 18. Well, he's talking about the world. He says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. He's talking about the world system, the systems of the world, the world that doesn't know God, honor God. The world that wants to honor itself, anything of human attainment. And Jesus says, if the world hates you, you know, it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world... The world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world because of this, the world hates you. Jesus is saying in verse 19, we are not of the world. We've been born again, according to John 3. We've been born from above. We are not of this world. He says, if we were of the world, the world would love its own. But because we're not of the world, but what? We're only not of the world because Jesus chose us out of the world. He chose us. Jesus took the initiative in your salvation. He says, but because of this, the world hates you. He says, remember the word that I said to you, a slave's not greater than his master. And if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. He just says, you're not going to have a welcome reception with the world. So I think what he's saying pretty plainly is don't expect to be loved by the world. Don't expect to hold the things dear that you hold dear and the world to respect that and honor that. If your sole sole ambition in life is just to be liked, you need to reevaluate. Because Jesus says, if we stand for him, if we live in him, if we're truly disciples of his, 
if we love one another, if we pray, if His words abide in us, the world doesn't understand that. The world hates that. Don't expect any more out of the world. Verse 23, he who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. Jesus says the world hates him and the world hates his father. And don't expect the world to treat you any better than it treated him. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. And then he wraps this up here in this portion of scripture with this. When the helper comes. He's mentioned the helper before. Who is the helper? The helper is the Holy Spirit. The word can be translated helper or comforter or counselor. But when you, when you see counselor, you have to think legal counsel. Legal counsel. He says uh, the helper will come and he says, I will send him to you from the father. That is, and he, he specifies who this helper is, the spirit of truth. Who proceeds from the father, he will testify about me. The helper will always lead us to Christ. The helper will always lead us to truth as it is in Jesus. And then he says this, and you will testify also. Hmm. So here we have another quality of that life of a disciple. Yes, we're attached to the true vine. Yes, we're fruitful. Yes, we go through pruning. Yes, the words of Christ are important to us and we bring those words into our lives. Yes, the joy of the Lord is evident in our lives. Yes, we pray and we pray and we pray and we we ask according to the will of God. And according to his great character. And in so doing, we focus on prayers that are, have already been uttered in the scriptures. I think we mentioned pray the prayers of the Bible. Pray the prayers of the Apostle Paul. Good spiritual prayers. Pray that our faith would be enlarged. Pray that our love for one another would grow. Pray that we would persevere. Through trials and persecution. Pray those prayers. The Lord delights in answering those prayers. But this last thing right here. He says, you have a testimony. He says, you'll testify also. Why? Because you have been with me from the beginning. We have a testimony of Christ. Those disciples had a testimony of Jesus. Listen. These, these are not far from really disappointing themselves. They're going to flee. Jesus is going to go through a trial. He's going to be convicted. 
He's going to be hung on a cross and these disciples, for the most part, are going to leave. And they're going to be so disappointed in themselves. But Jesus says, you're going to have some help that comes along the way. And you will have a testimony because you've been with me. I want to encourage you today to think about yourself as the branch attached to the vine and all the spiritual fruit that comes from that. That spiritual fruit is important. That spiritual fruit will encourage you. And then as the Lord prunes you, you'll bear more fruit. And the fruit we define as anything that is produced from the life-giving vine into the branch that is attached to it. The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of righteousness. Love for one another. All those things that you and I cannot manufacture in and of ourselves. And we certainly can't sustain those things in and of ourselves. So we trust Jesus today, not only for salvation, but according to this chapter, and this is a great chapter starting with I am the true vine, because he addresses the Christian life. How is the Christian life to be lived? He specifies that. He gives us all the indicators of what it means to be a believer in Jesus. My question to you today is, are you attached to the life-giving vine through repentance and faith? If you are, rejoice. If you are not, the invitation is open to you to come to Jesus, to trust him as your Lord and Savior to receive him into your life and then orient yourself around Jesus and his will and his word for you. Father in heaven, thank you for this day and I thank you for this wonderful chapter concerning Jesus as the true vine. Lord, bring this and and make it a reality in our lives that we'll go on rejoicing, that we won't be surprised when we're hated by the world But we'll stand for you and we'll stand full of joy and hope in knowing that one day you'll return. And when you return, you will welcome us into your company. We give you praise today. Your blessing be upon your people in Jesus name. Amen.